Our text comes to us from Ecclesiastes chapter 9, beginning at verse 7. Hear the word of God. Go eat your bread with enjoyment. Drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has long ago approved what you do. Let your garments always be white. Do not let oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife with whom you love all the days of your vain life that are given to you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hands find to do, do with all of your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. The word of the Lord. I don't write this. <laughs> Ecclesiastes attributed to Solomon, who was a man known for his great wisdom, but he's absolutely vexed by death. In verses 2 and 3 of this ninth chapter, he says, you're all going to end up dead. Doesn't matter if you are righteous or wicked, good or evil, if you worship God or not. It doesn't matter how carefully you live, you will be just as dead as those who were scoundrels. And this drives Solomon a little nuts. In verse 4, he says, a living dog is better than a dead lion. Verses uh, 5, he says, not only are you going to die, but after a while, we're going to forget you ever were alive. <laughs> and then in verse 6, he says, not only is your body going to die, but everything that made you you, the parts of you that were loving and good and tender, the things you hated, nobody's going to care because it's all in the grave with you. The word of the Lord according to Solomon. Now we would say that this is not the Bible at its most inspiring devotional <laughs> part. But we'd have a hard time arguing with him. Not only do we find that our physical lives all come to an end, no matter how well they were lived along the way, but before we get to the grave, we get plenty of experience with death-like opportunities, with the loss of relationships, the loss of dreams, the loss of health, the loss of our youth, the fleeting moments of happiness. Every Camelot, no matter how wonderful it is, comes to an end. So we would think, though, with that type of despairing realization, that Solomon's next verse would be, so your pursuit of truth and, and love and justice and beauty, it's all a fool's game. But that's not his next line. His next line is the opening of our text here. So go eat your bread with enjoyment. Drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has long ago approved of what you do. As the rest of the Bible makes clear, this isn't saying that God approves of all human choices. It's saying what it says, that God has approved 
of the yearning for joy and a merry heart. Where do you think that yearning came from? It comes from the God in whose image we are made. As the creation narratives make clear, after six days of work, God rested on the Sabbath to enjoy and call the work good. We tend to think of Sabbath rest as an opportunity for renewal so we can get back to work, as if that's the goal. But that's not the way the creation narratives are written. God engages all of that work that culminates in joy and in calling it good. That's the God in whose image we are made. Thus the yearning for joy. Now this does not mean that your years of theological study here will be a constant experience and joy. It doesn't mean that your participation in our flawed community of learning will be a constant experience of merriment. It doesn't mean that at the end of a long, hard day, you're going to go to bed saying, this is good. Remember, there were those other six metaphorical days of work. And by the way, a a metaphorical day can last a long time. (laughs) Then comes the discovery, the scene that it is good and the joy in that. All that Solomon's trying to say to us is that when you find joy, when your heart is made merry, It's approved by God. It's okay. And this is an important reminder at the beginning of an academic semester because um, as basic as the point is, it has to be said, it's okay to have joy and to be merry. We have such a deep spiritual tradition of the call to take the hard road to carry your cross, to suffer with those who suffer. I have plenty of sermons on that. I plan on writing a whole lot more. (laughs) But let's remember that you don't have to be miserable to be spiritual. God has approved of your joy. That's allowed. It's commended. The work that you have to do, not only here, but when you leave here, if it is work God has given you, it's going to be hard. It's going to be very difficult. The challenges that you will be confronting are gonna be huge. You're called to make a difference in a very broken world. Don't expect that work to be easy. But if along the way, as you engage that call, there are times of eating your bread with enjoyment or drinking your wine with a merry heart Solomon says, take it. Take it before you and your work end up in the grave. That's the wisdom of Solomon. But what if? What if the grave isn't the end of the story? What if we have more than just a few fleeting years and then death and then whatever happens? 
What if God broke through and took on our humanity and became one of us in Jesus Christ so that we might take on his beloved identity as a part of eternal communion that doesn't begin somewhere out there, but today, now eternity breaks in. What if we can stop thinking linearly about these few years, then death, then whatever else? What if we think vertically about life under heaven, with the God in communion with us, giving us our eternal life today, and that every day is another day of experiencing this unfolding of eternity today? It'd make you a little joyful, wouldn't it? A number of years ago when I was serving a congregation as its pastor, I did um, a wedding for a couple named Mike and Sue. We had worked through the premarital counseling, I thought, (laughs) and they had come back in for what I was planning on just being the time to work on the wedding itself. And so we were sitting at a table this time and we had copies of the wedding ceremony in front of us and red pens and we were gonna make all of the adjustments and edits. And just as I started to launch into this, Mike says, wait a minute, I just have to say that I'm really, really frightened. So he now has Sue's attention. (laughs) Seeing the tears start to well up in her eyes, she says, oh, no, 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 sweetheart, you don't understand. I'm not afraid of marrying you. I'm afraid of losing you. He looked at me and he said, You know, my mother died when I was a teenager. I barely survived that. I love this woman even more. If anything ever happens to her, it will be the end of me. And then he had these big puppy dog eyes staring at me, and I knew what he wanted me to say. He wanted me to say, oh, Mike, you're young. You've got so many years ahead of you. You shouldn't worry about this at all. But I couldn't say that, because I've buried too many young people. So instead, I said, well, Mike, in my experience, 100% of all marriages come to an end, and you're not going to beat those odds. Now let's get back to work. (laughs) This was my shot at the wisdom of Solomon. He said, what? I said, what? Either through, tragically through divorce or tragically through death, all marriages come to an end. That's just all of them. Yours yours will too? Still not satisfied. (laughs) I said, well, let's, let's project. Let's say you have the finest marriage that this earth has ever seen. And every day you grow more deeply in love with this woman And let's give you a lot of years. How many do you want? 60? 65? Let's make it a 65-year marriage of intense passion. (laughs) Just going with his dream here. Let's say you have that marriage. At the end, one of you is still going to have to lay the other one in a grave. And that's going to tear your heart out your love will have been so intense over the years, your soul's so intertwined with each other, you're not going to know who you are without this, this person. You don't know if you can survive. And by the way, that's the best possible scenario. Right? 
Why do you want to go through that? I say give her up today. <laughs> Let's get the grief over with right now. <laughs> Don't cling to her, because it's only a prescription for anxiety. Open your hands to hold this love, this marriage. Then each day when you wake up and she's there beside you, 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 you are still here. <laughs> I have another day of this gift from heaven because you're living vertically under it. The world needs so much from you. It needs your passion. It needs your hard work. It even needs your anger, but it's dying for your joy. If you want to use your life to make a difference, if you want to engage in the struggle for a more just society because God has called us to that, if you want to spend your life as a pastor who is working with people who are conflicted, if you want to spend your life in scholarship, studying theology, that we might learn better how we live together under heaven. Along the way, look for the joy that is always yours. And the secret to finding it is to not cling to what you have. You don't have to because Jesus is clinging to you. Don't cling to your blessings or to your hurts. Don't cling to your dreams. Don't cling to your certainty, because it only makes you dead right. Open your hands to the realization that the God above you is also at work within you in ways far more mysterious than you understand today. Worship and discover that eternity is at work with you day after day. And then take the daily manna. Find the joy that is there. So you can eat your bread with enjoyment. Drink your wine with a merry heart. And be renewed for the work that waits tomorrow. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.